Hello and welcome to YHTV's nominated show, A Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 82. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzama, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hi, Christina. <laughs> What's up, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> Life's good today. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide, along with our co-host, Christina, as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy searching for optimal health. Today, we're very excited and honored to have a very special guest, Dr. Marissa Pei, a corporate psychologist and uh, radio and talk show host, TV and talk show host, and we will be talking about her and introducing her in just a moment. So people that want to get in touch with us and talk to Dr. Marissa, and I know they will, how will they do that? Well, Glenn, even before I tell them how to do that, I would like to ask everyone to please, please send in a vote for us for this show. Uh, we have three more days left. Can you believe it? For um, everyone to vote daily. So if you would please go to yogahub.tv and right there on the screen, you you can click right through and it'll give you all the instructions on how to vote. Please vote for us. We've been nominated um, for the Top Podcast Awards for 2013. So help us win. That'd be so much fun. Yay. Dr. Woolman, I get to walk the red carpet if we do. <laughs> Yay, and we'll bring everyone with us. Uh, yeah, anyone can join us. <laughs> it's in Vegas, let me warn you. <laughs> So um, now getting back to our show, a little bit of fun there, but getting back to our show, which is even more fun, um, at any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Or if you prefer to dial in and ask your question directly to our guests, the conference line number is 323-476-3997. And your ID is 607-393-POUND. And uh, if that went by a little too fast, not to worry. During the show, those numbers will show up on the screen as well. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, you're welcome. And we are pretty excited and honored to have been nominated for this. And we will continue to do our good work bringing great people like Dr. Marissa Pei on the show. So let's talk about her and meet her. In 2005, she was the role model of the year and won that award in business and media. In 2007, she was the remarkable, remarkable woman of the year. And in 2012, was the Asian entrepreneur of the year. That's a lot in itself, but it goes on. She has a PhD in organiz organizational psychology. She speaks, coaches, and facilitates to Fortune 500 companies around the world. She's an international motivational public speaker, as we said, a TV commentator. She spe speaks about various aspects of human dynamics, including one of our topics is why do people do strange things at work? And that would be a good question to have an answer for. <laughs> she's a radio talk show host, and we're delighted that she's given up some of her time right now to be on our show. And we'll talk about her show as we go on. She's a best-selling author. She teaches a balanced Tai Chi Gong exercise. She runs a 21-day fast from complaining event on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's a great one. She's, she sails competitively and also is the very proud mother of two beautiful young ladies. So I would like to, at this time, welcome Dr. Marissa Pei. Welcome, Marissa. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. It is a pleasure and a blessing to be on your show today. And Christina, why were you laughing? I, <laughs> I thought I'd love her to come here and analyze me. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Glenn would have to pay me quite a bit of money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll do it through Facebook. It's okay. <laughs> no, well, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for carving out some time for us. Absolutely. I pre-recorded my own show just so I could do this. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, we wanted to be live with you, Marissa. <clears throat> so as the medical guide, I always like to suggest a path 
for our audience to know that we're going to be on today. And I would really try to give everybody uh, just a little bit of advice, knowing Marissa, that mm -hmm. once you start meeting her and start working with her and talking to her, you will never be back to the same place that you started with. So if you want to be back to where you were, I would leave breadcrumbs or uh, some kind <laughs> of a thread because she's going to take you on a path today. Uh, <clears throat> We want to start with a little bit of what, what makes Marissa Marissa, and then we want to talk for the first half of the show about many of the different things that you do uh, that I mentioned in the uh, opening monologue, and then we want to go into something very specific that is one of your passions, I know, and that is life balance. It's one of our mm -hmm. passions also. So yes. we want to spend uh, a little time on the first part and then go to the second part. How's that sound to you? Sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Okay. So the first thing uh, I want to know, uh, I think, you know, in looking at all the things that you do, uh, you have a radio show, and I think it's called... Take my advice, I'm not using it. Yes. Is that correct? Take my advice, I'm not using it. Get balanced with Dr. Marissa. <laughs> yeah. So I think that we need to find someone for you that's doing another radio or talk show that says, take my spare time, I'm not using it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine. It's, um, I do juice my life. It is uh, one of those, uh, uh, I'm... You know, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual, and uh, I love that expression, you know, religion is for people who uh, want to avoid going to hell, and spirituality is for those of us who've already been there. <laughs> but, uh, I, I do know that there is something after this, and I'm sure there was something before this, but the thing that I know for sure, for sure, is that I'm living right now, and I'm breathing, and I have this thing called life to experience in its fullest. And there is an end to this incarnation. So I want to do everything that I possibly can in this lifetime. So I call it juicing my life. So I don't have spare time. Um, spare time is a waste of my time. So I want every moment to be about fully expressing and delighting in this thing called life. Beautiful. So I want to yeah. know what... What is your mission, and mm. when did you find it? How did you come to recognize your mission? Because I'm guessing that all of the things that you do are based on your mission, and that's what Absolutely. we're going to talk about. So let's Absolutely. figure out what your mission is. All right. So there's two parts to my mission. One is to be a beneficial presence on the planet. I want my life to count as something that was worth living. So I don't want to blow this incarnation. I want to come and express everything that I was uh, um, given as a gift, talent, uh, and ability, that everyone has a unique gift, talent, and ability, that I find it, I use it, and I fully express it in this thing called life. So that's number one. And number two is to just enjoy the heck out of life. So I want to laugh a lot. I want to create a lot. I want to love a lot. And I want to fully enjoy my life. So those two go hand in hand because when I do the first and I'm a beneficial presence on the planet, my soul sings. It knows that that's what I'm supposed to do. So then I have fun as well. So it's a little bit, you know, it sounds philanthropic at the beginning, but really it's not about, I mean, it's wonderful when people say, oh, it, you helped me so much, or, you know, I'm really grateful for, for what the, the, you know, the lessons I've learned or whatever it is that has made me happier in my life. And that's wonderful. Compliments are always accepted. And I love the, the feel of being appreciated, but that's not the core to be a beneficial presence on the planet as a purpose or as a mission is because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Everyone on this planet has something that they're supposed to do. And that something is to bring themselves joy as well. How do people find their mission? Um, well, you have to get out of bed. That's the first thing. Excellent. So, so staying, staying in bed. And you have to um, get in touch with the core of who you are. And that means getting past the busyness of what you're doing 
and the critical voices that are in your head, the monkey brain, as they call it, or I call it my, um, my committee in my head. I have a CEO that knows what everybody's supposed to be doing, a CFO that's always worried about money, and an auditor that's criticizing me no matter what I say and do. It's not good enough. You should have done this. You shouldn't have done that. You should have said this. You shouldn't have said that. So getting past that critic and going into the core of who you are. And that's why I teach Tai Chi Gong um, as well as, you know, I'm a big fan of yoga because it helps us get past that critical mind into the connection of our heart, which is connected to the source of life, which is where the joy is. So I I, I lost my question there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll do that sometimes. I'm warning you. <laughs> but that's that's how we find who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. In fact, I have a friend. She doesn't have an answering machine. She has a question machine. And when you call her, it says, who are you and what do you want? And those two <laughs> questions are the most important questions to ask yourself over and over and over at every juncture so that you're clear as to who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. So a lot of us, myself included, get caught up, you know, we in this in this storybook life that we think is supposed to be our life. So many of us grew up on Cinderella, Snow White, the gospel according to uh, uh, fairy tales. And so I thought that if I, you know, went to school, got a degree, got a job or career, got married, had children, I would live happily ever after. Well, look at me. (laughs) There is no happily ever after. That is a fantasy, okay? And it's really it, it 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 really leads you down a path where you are scrambling constantly trying to be happy. You think that by if I have okay, if I have ten thousand in the bank, I'll be happy. If I have a hundred thousand in the bank, I'll be happy. If I have a million in the bank, I'll be happy. If I you know meet my soulmate, I'll be happy. If I have children, I'll be happy. And or if I get that second house or the house on the beach or the second car. And and what I've learned myself and working with many very successful people who have all of those things, that that does not bring happiness. That if we are constantly looking for happiness or an identity of who I am outside of ourselves, we are not going to be happy. Because then we're always looking for what I call relational definitions of who I am. People say, well, I'm a mother, I'm a consultant, I'm a uh, talk show host, I'm a teacher. And, And so you define yourself by what you do or your relationship with another person. And you know, I hate to tell you this, but shiitake happens and, and you're not going to be perfect at whatever you are in a relationship with or who you are or how you're defining yourself if you're defining yourself by what you do or who you are. So you're constantly on that hamster wheel trying to be the perfect mother or the perfect teacher or the perfect boss. And, 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 it, and again, that does not bring happiness because usually perfectionists, or I'm a recovering perfectionist or uh, also known as a control freak, um, you know, it's not a hundred percent anything. It, 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 shiitake happens. And if I get 99 compliments on how great of a mom I am, and I one time scream at the top of my lungs in frustration, I am now thinking about how horrible of a mom I am. And I'm constantly trying to make that up, you know, substitute, uh, worker, uh, supervisor, whatever you want to, um, uh, uh, substitute that with. So if I define myself in who I am as what I do or my relationship or my role, then I am not going to find out how to make myself happy, or if I'm happy, or or who I am. If, on the other hand, I go back to the source, and I go back to who I am outside of the critical head, and connect with taking a deep breath in, gently eyes closed, and being quiet, and find myself under that critic, under the role, under the relationship, and define myself as the core of who I am, 
then I can find what it is that makes me happy in what I'm doing and what I'm accomplishing in life. So for those of you who are listening and who are are not happy, and usually this happens around midlife. This is the the what I call the 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 big midlife crisis. There, there really is a midlife crisis because I think that you know that book that that belief system the the Cinderella story breaks down somewhere around midlife, and all the things that you thought would make you happy don't make you happy anymore, and the things that you you really um, want, you have no control over. So you want great health. You want a great family. You want a great partner. You want a great career. You want a great job. And you find yourself laid off, divorced. Um, uh, uh, your kids hate you. Minor teenagers, uh, it, which just comes with the with the territory. Um, you, all those things that are, are uh, so your your nest egg is gone because you you either got laid off or um, you know the economy has shifted. So so now if I live in the space of that fantasy or that Cinderella story, I am going to now say, okay, I guess the rest of my life is hopeless. I'm hopeless. So at this midlife juncture, it is critical to use the most powerful thing that we have in this lifetime, which is choice, to change the way that we view our lives, to change the way that we see what our life is supposed to be. So if I'm no longer happy or I want to be more happy and I want more joy in my life, I have a choice. I can see this thing called life differently than how I saw it before. So my expectation now is, you know what? It is not my entitlement to come into this lifetime to to be entitled to a normal, healthy, loving, unconditional, loving home. And it is not my entitlement to play by the, uh, the Cinderella rules, which is if you work hard, then nothing bad happens to you and you make a lot of money and you get to retire and, and, and then live on the beach and drink pina coladas. That no longer is the construct to bring us happiness. Even and, and trust me, even when people had a lot of money, it was still not the construct for happiness. I worked with people who had all of that, who made $5 million a year, and they were asking me, why am I not happy? Okay, now I know there's some of you out there that are just like, well, I didn't get my chance at the $5 million. Give me $5 million. I promise you I will be happy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we can do that too. We can do that too. But in the meantime, I want you to use the life balance tool of choice and decide that I can be happy without 5 million. I can be happy even if I get laid off. I can be happy even if I don't am not in a relationship with a soulmate. I can be happy even if there's shiitake raining down all over the place. I can be happy even if I am not in perfect health, because that is the lemonade I am trying to get you to drink. I'm not trying to get you to drink (laughs) Kool-Aid, but I am trying to help. That's my beneficial presence on the planet. I realize that because I'm so shy, sarcasm (laughs) is another service I offer, um, because I have gone through things like extreme physical abuse as a child. I have gone through a $480,000 divorce that I'm paying for. I have gone through um, a a major hip replacement and three major surgeries a couple years ago. I have um, had a, a lot of difficult growing up not white in a white place where I had a lot of discrimination going on. I have lived uh, a place where uh, I've been betrayed over and over and over again. And I can tell you that I would not trade any one of those experiences in my life because they made me who I am right now. And who I am right now, I'm very clear that I'm not perfect, but 88% of me is pretty darn good. 
<laughs> and I love my life. I, no matter what happens, I love my life because I choose to put on my life jacket with a silver lining. Perfect. In everything, there is a choice. I can either look at best case scenario or worst case scenario. I can, I can focus on how horrible my lemon is and how sour it is, or I can choose to make lemonade in time. I'm not saying that you should, you know, walk around in denial and say, I'm fine. You know, like that Seinfeld uh, episode where, um, what's his name's dad walked around and went, serenity now, serenity now, serenity now. And at the end of the episode, he like smashed $2 million worth of computers from all the pent up stress. I'm not saying that we should not feel frustrated. Absolutely. I'm not saying we shouldn't feel sad. We should feel sad. When, when horrible things happen, it's part of our heart. We should cry. Tears are the disinfectant that make our heart soft. It's important to feel fully human all the time. But we have a choice on whether we want to stay pretty much above sea level or stay below sea level. And, and so the feelings below sea level are those that don't feel great. We don't have to stay there. We can feel frustrated and curse at the guy who just cut us off and let it go without put, using our fingers or just go take the breath in. Oh, I'm sure I've cut off someone before. God bless them. They obviously need it. And then <laughs> that's the vent. And then we focus on, wow, look at the beautiful silhouette of the palm trees while I'm sitting in traffic. <laughs> it's a choice. But I know that it makes me feel better when I'm not marinating in that negativity, in that angst, in that worry. Because worry is not a paying job. Mm, that's so. a good point. You know, you mentioned <laughs> she gets, she gets you mentioned the so she many things Lord. there, Marissa. Uh, you mentioned you. storybooks and and kids and teenagers and everything else. I know that as an author, you wrote a very interesting book called mm. "Mommy: What Are yes. Feelings." And yes. I remember in my life growing up, I don't, I never asked that question, and I would mm. guess that most people never asked that question. How does mm. that book uh, fit into the essence of your mission? It's one of my proudest uh, creative endeavors, and uh, the book is called Mommy, What Are Feelings? And each feeling has a taste, touch, sight, and sound. And each feeling was actually illustrated by my daughters when they were three and five years old. And each page has a place where the child is encouraged to draw their own feelings. Um, it's over there. I don't know if I can grab it or not, but uh, I, I, I wasn't prepared to actually show you the book. But if you um, actually, if you come visit me this week at the Braveheart Women's Conference, I'll be in the ballroom actually doing a book and DVD signing. So you can see it then. But it's one of my proudest because it's used for uh, autistic children. In, across the nation to help yeah. them express their feelings. And so I'm very, very proud of that. Uh, what happens in this uh, thing called life when we grow up in school, in our traditional school system, uh, and, and they do the best that they can. And I am grateful. Uh, my kids are in a great school system. Um, I love the administrators and the teachers. They've had a great time uh, going through that system. Uh, but the, the way that our school systems work, we don't talk about feelings. Uh, we, we have classes in math. We have classes in uh, social sciences. Uh, the closest we get is health. Uh, we expect our homes to talk about things like feelings and relationships and how to get along or the church. Um, well, there's a lot of people who've developed an allergy towards church. Uh, in this generation, uh, largely because uh, a lot of us grew up with a God who needs anger management classes. So, so that area of um, uh, teaching is sort of gone by the wayside. Family systems, and uh, I love my family, and uh, a lot of us, you know, uh, I think Oprah says, I say like it's seven out of 10, I think based on psychology today, research have grown up in dysfunctional homes and uh, Oprah says it's as high as eight. And that system doesn't necessarily teach us well about 
feelings or relationships as well, because we are condemned to repeat our past and, and our parents do the best that they can. And uh, I will guarantee you, if you grew up in a family of abuse, if you look back the generation before, the generation before, it's just a pattern of that's repeating itself because there's no way to, to remedy that because we're not specifically taught. Whereas I'm grateful that our generation is the first generation really that uh, has been able to make it okay to go for help in therapy, uh, to make it that there's a lot of books in self-help that help. So th- <laughs> this is the, uh, the, the Stephen Wright line that I love is, the only thing wrong with the gene pool is there's no lifeguard. <laughs> <laughs> so this generation, we are starting to recognize that we have to learn differently in order to stop the dysfunction in the home. So that's another, you know, you asked earlier what my my job is in this lifetime. It's also to help with that. So my my radio show, the work that I do writing, the work that I do uh, um, uh, on TV is all towards that. And there's so many of us now that are recognizing that the whole, you know, the whole burgeoning, your show, uh, the burgeoning of, of, um, yoga as well. We're all getting agape international spiritual center that that's where I get my positive roots watered, the Chopra center. There's so many places now and we're starting to really come together to recognize that this thing called, um, uh, learning how to have better relationships and not to have uh, dysfunction in the home. Or, or as I say, trying to learn how to put the fun back into dysfunction. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. all uh, the effort that we are, uh, you know, the book, the Mommy, What Are Feelings? It's all to make it okay to be human and to to recognize that if we can uh, uh, embrace this thing called feelings to, to not marinate in the feelings that are, are hurting us are not act and, and, and getting in our way of happiness, but also embracing those feelings. Now, the good news is that, that there is a recognition that we're not happy and, and we're talking about those feelings of not happy. Unfortunately, I think the pendulum has gone way to the other side where all we're talking about is feelings. And we have this, this um, flawed premise that we're supposed to be happy all the time. So what do we do? We're American. We don't like to work at things too long. We want an instant answer. And that's why I think one out of four Americans is on prescription medication because they, they go to the doctor. The doctor says, oh, you're not happy. Here, take this. Um, and then if you watch the, the side effects, I, I, it just always amazes me why, how people are, are taking all these drugs when it is so blatant that the side effects are going to kill you so, or make you <laughs> even worse place than you started. If I was feeling occasionally unhappy, now I'm going to have thoughts of suicide because I'm taking this drug. Um, anyways, that's another show. <laughs> so, but uh, I, you know, the, the, the fact of recognizing our feelings. And as you said, Glenn, you grew up not uh, understanding or being able to fully express your feelings. It is important that children understand that feelings are important, but balance that out with, it's not all about feelings. Feelings are just a guidance system to get us back on track. So when I'm feeling really angry. It's a signal that there's something that I have to adjust to get back to that natural good feeling center that I have. Statistics show that children on average laugh 400 times a day. Adults, on the other hand, laugh 40 times a day. So there's something off kilter there. What we want to capture as as a child is have the child teach us how to be really cognizant of our feelings and get to that natural good feeling place that we are. Uh, For those of you who are um, uh, studiers of the Vortex or Abraham and Esther and Jerry Hicks work, uh, you can hear some of the words that I'm using, law of attraction. It is it is wonderful that medical science is now validating all those things in those teachings where it is good for us to be 
in a positive, happy place. It is not good for us health-wise to stay in there. Uh, Deepak Chopra cites, I believe, the Harvard, Harvard Medical School study that says there are three, two emotions that will hurt our body, mind, spirit, and soul. Health-wise, anger and hostility. There are three emotions that give us uh, and our cells and our body, those 50 trillion cells, a wonderful way of working together, and that's peace, love, which are kind of, you know, expected, and then the, the surprising one for me was creativity which is why in my shows, I'm constantly, you know, what it is, what is, how does it creativity express in you? So feelings are important. Good feelings are super important. So in this thing called life, am I aware of what I am feeling? And that book, Mommy, What Are Feelings? You can use it as an adult to find out where you're feeling, get uh, uh, um, cognizant about where I'm feeling and then move to a better feeling place because that's, that is what we're supposed to do in this life. We're not supposed to marinate in anger, resentment, hopelessness, fear, uh, worry, doubt. We're not supposed to be there. We can feel it. And as soon as we feel it, that's a signal that we are not in our center. We're not in our balance. As, as Esther says, we're not in our vortex and that's just a clear signal. How do I get back there? Do I need to forgive someone? Do I need to let something go? Do I need to um, uh, give a compliment instead of a criticism? Do I need to uh, keep my word to myself that I said I was going to get up and go for a walk? Uh, I'm feeling bad because I'm not going for a walk. Well, let's go for a walk. Let's just go. Uh, let's just, as uh, one of my teachers, Edwin Gaines says, let's exercise the gospel according to Nike and just do it. <laughs> Speaking of doing it, I like that. You got your degree in corporate psychology and okay. the Supreme Court uh, announced through Citizens United that uh, corporations are people uh, based partly on the 14th Amendment, although there are some there's some question about what a person really is, but I'm trying to picture now as a corporate consultant, do you see that corporations will eventually all be on Prozac and antidepressants <laughs> or do they, do they need to see? Oh. How, does, how do you work with a corporation? Oh, Lord. Well, um, just to clarify, my PhD is in organizational psychology, which is a combination of business and psychology together. So I study and work with human dynamics at work, things like power, politics, miscommunication, and conflict. Okay, so that's why that's where the corporate psychologist comes from. That's my expertise is going into organizations and helping organization with any of those things that get in the way of um, efficiencies, effectiveness. But uh, actually, I've shifted that because it's not all about productivity. If it's true what you're saying and that organizations are an entity in and of themselves, then my job is that the working cogs inside an organization have two goals, less stress and more joy. So it, the great thing is corporations are understanding that it's not all about making money. It is about making money, but it is also about this thing that we spend more time in than we do at home. Are we happy there? And how do we uh, structure organizations so that everyone has the tools to know, one, how to be good leaders and motivate people and not demotivate people and create more stress as a leader, and two, how do we work together better amongst each other? Are our teams working? Do the top levels of organizations work together in a place where they're honest with each other and they have open dialogue? Are they using the creativity of the people that are in the organization? Is everybody coming to work wanting to fully express their gifts, talents, and abilities? Or is everybody coming to work just to get the paycheck? Because if it's just to get the paycheck, it's no wonder that our businesses are not competitive anymore worldwide. Do you think that um, it's the personality of the CEO that uh, dictates the personality of the corporation? And if, if so, is the personality changing? Is the CEO of the 1920s different than the CEO 
in terms of personality and thought process uh, in 2014? I am so glad you asked that question. This is one of my favorite topics. So wow. in, the, <laughs> in the past, we had a model called Theory X. And Theory X was um, organizations or companies are the only smart people are at the top. And everyone under the top needs full direction because they're basically stupid and they need to be told exactly what to do. It's the mechanistic model. People need to be supervised. You have to have timesheets because if you're not, they're going to be dishonest and they're going to screw up at work. And so everyone has to be given a control to make them do their job. So that was Theory X. That was the model uh, based on the military, uh, military model of organizations. The good Ooh. news is we moved, and actually my field is the sort of the foundation of the shift. Our whole field of organizational psychology introduced Theory Y and Theory Z. And, and, and what we discovered in a famous Hawthorne effects is that People actually are extremely creative. They don't need to be controlled. And if they are allowed to bring their whole selves to work, they can be amazing assets to the, to the corporation. So human resources as your best resource, I, I think you remember that message, is, was the, the, the shift that started in the 60s. Actually, mm -hmm. right before that, but it gained momentum in the 60s. And you started hearing things like um, uh, uh, intelligent, uh, servant-based uh, model leadership, uh, Richard, um, Robert Tannenbaum, a lot of my teachers who, who uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm skipping my names here, but uh, Peter Senge and the Learning Organization, one of my teachers, uh, uh, Porter. So there's a lot of data that showed that if you really wanted the best organization possible, you had to treat people like people. And you had to treat them and appreciate them and motivate them and give them the skills and tools to be able to work the best that they can. Diversity and valuing diversity in the organizations was also another competitive strategy that many great companies, uh, uh, some of my clients, Mattel, Neutrogena, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, AT&T, discovered that by using this new model of Theory Y that allowing people to really fully express who they are in the workplace was beneficial for the organization. Now, the bad news is <laughs> uh, a lot of my managers Thanks, grew up. I'm sorry? Thanks, Marissa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm all about balance, right? Um, the bad news is that if you grew up and many, many, many middle managers grew up in this extremely Theory X, horribly uh, uh, oppressive environment. If you had positional power at the top, you could basically do anything you want. Your word was the law. It's my way or the highway. And if you don't agree, there's the door. That uh, leadership model uh, used, that used to be in play is no longer uh, okay. But the people who grew up with that, who couldn't wait to get to that level, if I just stay here long enough, if I just kiss enough butt, if I just get, you know, don't react when I'm getting yelled at or my finger, uh, a finger's being pointed in my face or people are, my boss is spitting in my face, uh, yelling at me and screaming at me. And I'm just going to take it because one day I'm going to be able to be in that position and dish it out. So the bad news is it's no longer that way. The theory why new model says it, you're only is you're not just expected to be technically an, a technical expert, but you're also expected to be a great, emotionally intelligent, interpersonally effective leader. And I didn't forget your question, Glenn. Does the the, the profile of the top leader matter in an organization? The answer is yes and no. So I it knew is, you'd say that. <laughs> it's called balance, yin-yang. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I actually have clients who will say, Dr. Marissa, could you please come to... Um, to to uh, my office and not bring your uh, 
you're one on one hand and the other. Can we just have a one armed soldier come to to work today? Because <laughs> they're tired of me saying on one hand and the other hand. So my other hand says, if you have a leader like Stephen Jobs, who obviously had technical expertise and interpersonal effectiveness, that is ideal. But if you have a boss who's not like that and is a little more towards theory X, it is not the end of the world. I actually believe in not a top-down change model and not even a bottom-up change model. I believe in what I call the strategic termite model of change, that (laughs) in any organization, if you have enough energy and you've got little termites over here that are uh, eating down or, or removing those past structures of oppression and of, of uh, repressed or expressed anger or um, a, a, a non-motivating, uh, constantly fear-based uh, leadership and processes, you... You can have people who come in and say, you know what, I don't have positional power, but I want a, an environment that values everyone around me. And so I am going to make sure that just in my sphere of influence, which may be just my peers and the people that I supervise or you know, people in another department that I'm going to go and we're going to have brown bag lunches and bring people who are inspiring so that we can learn at work or you know, let's, let's, um, let's adopt the 21-day fast from complaining with Dr. Marissa and we're going to do that as a team-based competition across the organization. You can still have a leader who is on the Theory X side and have an organization that absolutely is a fabulous place to work, is a fabulous, productive, and happy, and less stress, and more joy place to work. You don't even have to have people on the bottom, on the front line, to buy into that too. So as long as there's enough energy across the organization and what I call my strategic termite pods, we're, we're, good, we're good for gold. You're also a motivational speaker, and most of the time, motivational speakers usually speak at events where people want to be motivated. Uh, But you have to also, as a personal uh, consultant, deal with people that may not want to be motivated. How do you take someone who doesn't want to be motivated and get them motivated? Well, um, you know, everybody's got to, you know, transition at some time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) This is another great question. There's a model that I use where uh, it illustrates in every organization, if I were to to make this rectangle, okay, so you see the rectangle. It's a good thing I'm not on radio right now. And you've got your top 20%, and these are the people who are what I call the cheerleaders. They're the people, your go-to people. They understand what you're talking about. They get on board. They're absolutely rah-rah. They want to uh, implement. They want. They see your vision. They want to go. So there's 20% there. Then you've got your 20% on the other end. These are the people that are just not happy about anything. Doesn't matter what you say, they're not going to be happy. Doesn't matter what you offer them, they're not going to want to do it. Okay. So there's your your non cheerleaders. And in that 20%, I have what I call my two percenters. These are the ones in every organization has one or two. The two percent are the people that even if you offered them a raise, they're still not happy because it was either not enough or no 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 no. So the two percenters, if they were in the mafia, they'd be dead. Okay. The two percenters, it's interesting. When whenever I come into an organization and I do my temperature check and I ask, you know, what are the areas are there that are you're losing sleep over? Every single leader tells me about their two percenter. And these two percenters, they'll say, you know, if I had a choice to hire who I wanted to, I would not have this two percenter. And they bring the whole group down and I just don't know what to do with them. And I wish, you know, I could get rid of them. And if they do manage to get rid of them, it's an interesting organizational phenomena. Someone from the 20 percent will replace them in that slot. (laughs) So for some weird reason, for some organizational weird reason, 
every organization seems to need someone to anchor down that spot. Now, <laughs> the, the, the trap like that, that a lot of leaders fall into is they spend a lot of time trying to change and fix that bottom 20%. And what happens is you've got 20% that are basically getting burnt out because they're being the go-to people all the time. You've got 20 uh, weighing down on this end. You've got 60% of the people in the middle who I call it depends or on the fence, or I'm waiting to see which direction I want to go in. And they watch the top 20 who are getting every once in a while an attaboy, okay? And then they're watching these negative 20s get a lot of attention because they're trying to fix this group, okay? What happens is this top 20 starts getting burnt out and they move into the 60. The 60 are looking at where the attention is going and the attention's going in the negative. So guess what? People want attention, so you're moving steadily the organization in the, dif- in the direction you don't want it to go. So what I uh, recommend to my leaders is leave this 20B. Okay, they have clear goals and there's clear consequences if they don't meet those goals. And that's all covered in a thing called performance evaluation. Okay, if you can learn to tell the truth to the 20% and say, okay, this is, you want a raise, you want a bonus, you want recognition, you want motivation. Here's what you can do to get it and then let them go. As long as you've been honest with them, let them go and then have the cojones when it comes evaluation time to actually give them the rating that they deserve. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing that's missing is that because we don't, we want to be nice, or we don't want to upset the apple cart, or we don't want to have a, a lawsuit given us. We don't tell the truth, okay? So when we start doing that with this group, then we leave them alone. Then we take all of our focus and we just wrap it around the people who are absolutely busting their butts to do what they want to do. Uh, to do what you want to do because they're very clear. Everyone's very clear on what the vision is. And that's the work of the leader. How can you make the vision so clear and compelling that everybody wants to move in this direction? That's your work. It's not to try to control and change and oppress and punish. It is to be clear and then motivate clear and then motivate. And that's the way to move this group because this group will finally, not the two percenters necessarily, and we can just, you know, oh, there's my two percenter. Isn't he adorable or isn't she <laughs> adorable? And, and you know what? I'm so glad that you anchor us down because the, you make sure that I don't fly off with my vision. Thank you very much. The, I'm so glad we have a yes, but people. They feel that they have a role. They're no longer um, pushing. So, so here's the other thing. There is the group of 60 who do have great ideas. Most leaders pick the top 20% based on a thing called HSR, which I did, uh, my, my first master uh, thesis on, which is homosocial reproduction. If you as a leader understand that you pick people based on your comfort levels with them, because they kind of are like you, okay then you will be better at recognizing the unique gifts and talents and abilities of the 60% that are in the middle. So you're not just getting, uh, you're just not getting, uh, giving kudos to those like you, which can actually land you in some hot water in a thing called favoritism, which is alive and well. And of course, it's based on people that, that, that uh, do what you ask them to do. But if you also, as a leader, develop some self-awareness that, oh, I'm naturally more comfortable with people who, you know, like uh, football because I like football, but I want to make sure that I'm including people who don't like football or who don't talk about football. And let's, let's, you know, include all of those in the 60% and create an environment where everyone can thrive. Those are the organizations which 
you're, you're going to move to an 80% block over here and a 20% block there, and they still serve the function. So it's not the 20% that we're, that we're dealing with. What we want to look at and capture is that 60%. I'm hoping that all corporations, including maybe our Congress and uh, government, can listen to, <laughs> listen to this uh, talk. That was great information there. And I know that we could go over many of the other things that you do, but I promised that we would get into the passionate part. Not that you're not passionate about everything, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hide that very well. Uh, we want to talk about life balance. Mm. Uh, we talk about that on this show all the time, and I'm very interested in hearing your uh, your way of life balance. Balance oh. is having what you want and wanting what you have. As simple as that. For me. For me. So in life... Every moment of the day, do I have what I want and want what I have? So do I have good health? Wherever I am, I have the health that I have been afforded. If I don't like what I have, then I work towards getting what I have. So there's acceptance with what I have. And at the same time, there is a desire and a movement towards what I want. To me, that's balance. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, of course. Okay. I like that. So how do you, how do you um, actually, we have a question that came in. So I would like to honor one of the people that's listening and Perfect. ask their question and, and then go back to my questions. Christina? Thank you. Um, so, Marissa, this question came in from an individual. Uh, it is, what can you do to help elevate the family unit? When one person is negative or depressed, the whole family seems to fall apart, mm. no matter how positive we all try to be. Mm. Um, a great question, and it is uh, it it, it is, you have to have your Wheaties in the morning to have some energy around this. <laughs> the first thing I would do is anchor yourself in a good place so that regardless of what's going on with that individual, you know how to get yourself into a happy place. Now, whether that's spending some time in meditation and remembering where joy came from in your life, uh, replaying something, maybe a time that you all were joyous together, and you know that that happened and it was the truth and it is part of your past and it can be part of your present in your mind and you can project and vision and live towards it in your future, okay? So no matter what, you hold that happy place and you anchor yourself that in that happy place for your family unit, okay? So it's important to start here. It's important to be very clear that you have that power to create the goodness in yourself first, okay? So that's step one. Step two is to see the good in that person, okay? Uh, the, the trap that we get into sometimes is the temptation to try to go and make them happy and try to talk them out of their sadness and try to talk them out of their depression and try to, and, and do you see what you're doing is you pay attention to that very thing that you don't want. Does that make sense? I, I'm talking mm -hmm. to someone who oh, asked absolutely. a question. Okay, good. So, <laughs> so, so, so when you go and, and you pay attention to what it is that you don't want, the law of attraction makes that big and continues to highlight that. Okay. So what we want to do is not highlight that. So what we do is we go in our mind, we don't have to necessarily say it out loud, but when we look at that person, 
We remember a time when they were not this way. And you can remember, and, and the next time you go, you can actually do this now. Feet down on the ground, um, uh, gently close your eyes, your hands in your lap, and you can breathe in through your nose. And I want you, in every breath, you're going to remember a time when that person was not that way. And it should be not, you know, it doesn't matter how long ago it was. And I bet you can collect like five or six different places, different times, different situations when you were at, on the beach or at, on vacation or wherever it was. And that point of reference of wh who they were in that point is still that person. So find that point. And I can see you just giving them a hug and, and laughing or chuckling. And at some point, every time you look at that person and you have that look of love because you're remembering that point, at some point, and you're not doing it for them, you're not doing it to manipulate them, you're not doing it for any other reason but to put yourself in a feel-good place, remembering the goodness of that relationship, remembering the goodness of that encounter. Soon, what will happen is you're going to walk around and you're going to have this goofy, wonderful looking uh, look on your face. And, and people are going to say, what are you smiling about? Maybe even that person. And you're going to go, oh, gosh, I was just remembering how much fun we had when you fell off of the sled and you got snow all over and we just laughed until we couldn't cry. And I had to pee because I was laughing so hard. and It was just so funny. And you know what? You, that energy and that memory has so much power and you begin shifting so that you're not waking up in the morning and going, oh, I wonder what kind of mood they're going to be in. Or, oh God, I wish they would go and get some help. Or, oh God, I can't take this anymore. Or, oh God, if they don't get help, I'm out of here. And because that kind of energy and that kind of focus will continue and you're going to go down what I call the labyrinth of poop, where that starts with stinking thinking and goes to worst case scenario and then goes into the effinator because then you're starting to go, God, if I had known, I would have never picked this person in my life and I wouldn't have had kids with them. And if I had known and they would misrepresented themselves and I must have been stupid or my picker's off and I have a bad picker, blah, 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 blah. And then it's all about you and how bad you are. And that's really going to help. So <laughs> what we want to do is catch ourselves first thing. We sit up in bed, we take a deep breath, we connect with the source, we connect with the, the goodness of the relationship, the goodness of that person, the goodness that still is who they are. They're just going through something temporary. And you focus on you and that memory. You focus on what you're doing and, oh, isn't it great that I get to make lunches today and I wonder what's in the fridge and, oh, isn't that interesting? The packages all have calories now. I didn't want to know. And, oh, isn't it great that my kids are smiling this morning? And, oh, isn't it great that I have this new outfit that I just got and isn't it great that I have a really comfortable bed and I, oh, I just love my car and it's so awesome because it runs and, oh, my phone's working today and, oh, I can't wait to get to work because so-and-so is having a drama. I can't wait to get out of mine to see her there. And so you, all of this positive energy begins to influence you and then those around you. You start with easy people, the people that uh, are happy in your, and, and it's, oh, honey, it's so great, but what's wrong with mommy or daddy? And it's like, you know, they're just going through something right now, but that's okay, and we're just going to hold them in love and light so that they can see. Remember that time when he laughed about this or she was this, and, and, and that storytelling, that capturing, it's not a story, it's the reality of what was before, can bring about a shift so powerful because now we're in that vortex of well-being. We're in that vortex of what's good. We're in that positive of who you are at the core of who you are. And then the magic starts. And it has nothing to do with drugs, and it has nothing to do with therapy, and it has nothing to do with, I, I, I'm not knocking any of that. If they can get to a place where they have um, uh, uh, um, help and, and, and resources that can help them, wonderful. But what, what we have no control 
over where someone else is. And if we try to drag them into our own vortex, we're going to get dragged out of ours. So that this is the common thing is that we focus on what's wrong with them. Focus on what's right with you. Focus on what's right with them. Focus on what's right with our, our environment right here. And then they can't help but be pulled into the goodness of who you are. That was a great question, and it was a superb answer. And I think that uh, was really for a lot of people, not just for this person. So thank you for sending that in. Uh, yes. I would, I would so say, though, that if I had known about the labyrinth of poop before the show, my <laughs> questions would have been completely different. <laughs> we're, we're speaking with Marissa Pay, a doctor of... Uh, psychologist and she works on tv and radio she's a motivational speaker uh, she does so many things which we're just learning about today i wonder if you have a special health tip for us marissa now that you've given us your life's health tips mm, so the health tip is find the good always find the good because when you find the good your cells go I want to work together today and we're going to process our food and we're going to make good food choices and we're going to drink a lot of water. So it all starts with that choice. If we find the good, or as Deepak Chopra says, choose love over grievance, or as Marianne Williamson says, choose love over fear. Um, if I am healthy in my mind, I will be healthy in my body. I will be healthy in my soul. I will be healthy in my spirit. If I find what's wrong, I begin the chain reaction of unhealthy cells functioning, unhealthy emotions, unhealthy body. So it all starts with that first choice. I wake up, I open my eyes. I close my eyes, I take a deep breath in, and I just focus on the breath and give the mind time to connect with the source, to connect with that energy that is who we are, that is good, that is love, that is joy, that is creativity, that is harmony, that is wonder, that is bliss, that is forgiveness, that is creativity. That's the breath we take. Then we anchor it with eight things that we are specifically grateful for, that we can be thankful for. Wayne Dyer says five, but I'm a recovering overachiever. I'm probably the Chinese background, but I pick eight specific things to be grateful for. I don't get out of bed until I've done that. Wake up, sit up, take the deep breath, two minutes of breathing. That can go to 15 minutes of breathing if you can do it. And then the eight things that are you're grateful for, and then you go brush your teeth. And what happens is when you start brushing your teeth and you're already primed in uh, gratitude is you begin to look at yourself and go, you know what? That's not bad there. I look pretty good instead of <laughs> finding what's critical and, oh, I look blah, 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 blah. So setting that, that's the best health, health tip that I can give you because what goes on in here will affect every other part of your body. Thank you. That was uh, really beautiful. I like that a lot. You know, I have to say that in... Uh, talking about you today, I left out one category that I was saving for the end. When okay. I Googled you, mm -hmm. uh, I saw one area that says, uh, Marissa Pay, retired lounge lizard. <laughs> I know that you're a singer yes. and songwriter and retired, and I'm thinking that you want to come out of retirement, and the <laughs> totally appropriate place to do that would be on Magical Medical Tour. <laughs> So, uh, would, would you honor us with some kind of a song, maybe something that would be the anthem of your life or the soundtrack or something that came out of today's uh, program? It's a, a prayer that I use as a life balance tool called the Serenity Prayer. Mm -hmm. And I put music to it uh, underneath it when I was in Sedona last year. So, it goes like this. God grant me... 
the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference to who day may I do my loving will always beautiful thank you that's actually on itunes so you can purchase that and it goes towards my piecework around the world oh fantastic yeah very nice (sighs) Uh, everybody take a deep breath anybody looking for breadcrumbs (laughs) (laughs) i ate them all (laughs) we'll never be back to where we were I'm no. so grateful to our very special guest, Dr. Marissa Pay, for sharing her wisdom and expertise with us. I would like to thank all of my teachers and healers uh, that have helped me along my journey. I look forward to getting together with uh, all of you again next week as we search another quadrant of the galaxy. Uh, until that time, Dr. Marissa, thank you so much, and thank you for all the work Absolutely. that you do and honoring us on this show. We must have you on again to uh, talk about just one or two of the other things, maybe competitive sailing. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. So until Very our close. next meeting, I wish you all optimal health. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much, Dr. Marissa Pay. It was just such an honor to have you on our show. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and of course, uh, to you, Dr. Glenn Woolman and uh, Segovia Smith and the whole Yoga Hub team for making this possible. And of course, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're always grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, followed every other week with Flowing Into Awareness with Anatara. And may I remind you, you can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman by following him on Twitter, at Glenn Woolman, and of course through his own site, glennwoolman.com, where be sure to learn about his metaphor square breath. And of course, you can connect with Dr. Marissa Pay uh, through Twitter, at Dr. Marissa Pay, and through her website, for the number four, balance. Dot org. And may I remind you, please, please uh, vote for Magical Medical Tour for uh, the 2013 Annual Podcast Awards. If you go directly to yogahub.tv, you will be guided towards the directions from there. There is three more days of voting, and we hope that you will spend just a moment to do so. Thank you so much. And again, we're always grateful for your continuous support and feedback. Give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Again, until next time, namaste. YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Come join Dr. Glenn Woolman and Christina Suzuma as they journey through the healthcare galaxy interviewing doctors, healthcare practitioners in the attempt to share ways to achieve optimal health. Join us on yogahub.tv every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern.